Hey, hello. How are you? This is a show for everyone else. Instead of going after top 1% of the world, we dedicate this podcast to celebrate the lives of the unsung heroes and self-made artists. Hey guys, this is your host Fei Wu and welcome to another episode of the Face World podcast. Hey, I'm not sure if you knew this, but we actually, well, first of all, a lot of things happened in the past few weeks. Number one, that we're going through and living through this crisis, this pandemic of coronavirus. And my heart goes out to all of you, wherever you are that you're listening to this episode. I just want to say that I love you and appreciate you for being here. And I thank you for all the things that you're doing for yourself, for your family and the community around you. And um, perhaps I, it's something I did, by the way, which is to reach out to my connections and I would say close connections as well as dormant connections and just asking if everyone is okay, if there's anything I can do for them. And guess what? For particularly close connections, I'm offering uh, my colleagues, my friends, my family to say that, hey, my line is open. If you need to chat with someone, let's do it. I even put it together some groups personal family groups where people can see the chat and just hop right on or I started uh, these two groups uh, one Facebook uh, one Facebook group that's been around for two and a half years now uh, it's called alt podcasters but since then I have expanded that to how we have all grown in the past two and a half years which is to become creative entrepreneurs uh, including podcasters youtubers writers speakers coaches so come check it out and there's another group i started about a week ago called wfh collab which is work from home collab a group where i can gather people maybe teach a few things about what i have learned as a full-time freelancer since 2016 but very quickly i realized people are coming in from all sorts of industries and backgrounds and we can all teach each other something i'm just super glad that we did this so wherever you are i love you and thank you for listening another update uh and announcement i want to make which is you will not be able to notice the difference wherever you are, Spotify, Apple, but we have actually moved our podcast onto a whole other platform called Anchor, anchor.fm. The transition took honestly a few weeks of hard work because we have to go back to faceworld.com, update everything, including the player, um, iframe information, but also on the sidebar, we're thinking, okay, faceworld.com has been around since 2D, it, 2D, ah, 2014 and uh, since then we upgraded the websites a few times tried different templates and we've reached a point where okay there should be a sidebar there should be newsletters so we try to clean things up we meaning me and my virtual assistant uh, rose we put in a lot of really hard work and we're glad to present it back to you guys and hopefully uh, making navigation more easily and producing content that are more relevant and helpful to you and uh yeah that's my update so let's move on to today's guest and uh i am really thrilled to have met lawrence chow as part of baaff which is the boston asian american film festival last october in 2019. now i was part of a now i wasn't part of the panel but I was among maybe a hundred audience members of listening to Lawrence Chow, among other uh, social influencers, filmmakers, actors, producers, writers, 
uh, it's a panelist and to listen to what they have to say about the current and future state of Asian American films, of the lives of uh, Asian American actors. It was just fascinating. Uh, Lawrence is an award-winning TV host with credits spanning Hong Kong, Singapore, Canada, US, and America. And he is most known uh, as the host of paranormal series Ghostly Encounters. And in this episode, uh, by the way, it's in audio as well as video. If you're a video type of person, uh, you can go to my YouTube channel, which is called Phase World Media, all one word. You can also search for the channel simply by searching for Phase World, F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. And you'll be able to watch this video, which I recorded with Lawrence on Zoom. As you know, the most popular way to for human interactions these days. Anyway, in this episode, you will learn Lawrence's origin stories and his upbringing in early days as a journalist before working as an actor and producer. And Lawrence's uh, latest work, uh, Justice for Vincent, and he worked for the film as a writer and producer. And why it isn't only about social justice for Asian Americans, it's about social justice, period. How Lawrence has been able to promote his film, Justice for Vincent, the success and challenges that come with marketing an independent film, uh, as well as the making of Justice for Vincent. In just two days, I was completely blown away because I was thinking about Phase World documentary taking two and a half weeks, well, plus one more week in Seattle. So like three and a half weeks or so on the road filming away and then months and months to produce it. And to imagine a film at that caliber could be produced in two days, just mind-blowing. Um, of course, Lawrence talks about what's next for Asian American films, if you're in the industry, if you're just curious, and what it's like to work as an Asian American actor, producer, host. It's not easy, but the path does exist. So if you happen to be or know someone who is an Asian American uh, actor, I think this will be an invaluable uh, episode and lesson and, and just conversation to have. So uh, last but not least, we chatted about the 2020 Oscar winning Asian film Parasite. So without further ado, uh, please welcome Lawrence Chow to the Face World podcast. And thank you so much for being part of Face World. Uh, whether you're new, many of you guys are new. Oh, I just want to throw some kisses and hugs. I mean so much for an independent creator like myself. Thank you for being here and I'll see you at the end of the show. You're really good at talking about anything, as I have witnessed at uh, the, um, the, the BAAFF, which is the Boston Asian American Film Festival, relatively recently. So um, to kind of give you an idea of some of the things like, that kind of keep popping up because you're so, you're so diverse, it made me think about your film, uh, well, the film you're in, uh, Justice for Vincent, by the way, you're, you're an actor there, but I think you're also more heavily involved also on the side of production as well. Is that correct? Yeah, or? I, I wrote and produce, uh, executive produce and um, starred in it uh, and kind of uh, moved mountains to make this little passion project come to life because wow. we shot it surprisingly in two intense long days. <laughs> what? People it's like a really high quality short film. Uh, and we were supposed to shoot for three days. We lost a day of production and we had to, things always happen when you do independent film. And uh, we managed to knock it out in two long days, which is a bit of a stunner. <laughs> it stunned me. Cause I am like, I mean, 
I don't want to say the lowest budget film, but it took us, when, when I talk about my documentary film, people are like, <laughs> two, like really three weeks on the road. And then we got like an hour of these guests times. We are like, it's such a joke. I yeah. Mean, you know, we, documentaries are a totally different beast. Uh, but you know, with, with your, when you're doing a, a dramatic film, um, we knew we were under the gun. So we, had a lot of scenes to shoot mm. and we just had to be really tight with um our organization and thanks to the crew and the director we managed to pull it off and wow. it's, a, it's a lot <laughs> oh my god let's i mean i'd love to dive right into that and but as a heads up some of the areas i really want to also talk about are i mean you possess so much of this information i'm sure people come to you all the time uh, for this, which is making films is one thing, but getting noticed is something else that you attend these events. So you are a marketer, you're writer, producer, you're, you have so many hats on, which many people in the industry don't get to experience, you know, like, you know, it's funny. Um, I look back at my background, I started out in journalism. Mm -hmm. And then I went off to Hong Kong with my degree and, you know, $2,000 and uh, two suitcases. And I Always wanted to break into show business, but my first career break was actually in public relations. And uh, while I was a PR consultant and uh, kind of on the rise in the corporate world, doors to showbiz start to open up. And I was always cognizant of the fact that um, you always make lens out of lemonade, although that's a bad way to describe a good career in PR, because it was a really good company. It was a great people. We did great, huge events in Hong Kong. Uh, mm -hmm. But you harness those skills and down the road, they always come in handy. Yeah. Like I wanted to, I should have went to film school, but then the journalism uh, training was so valuable because it taught me how to write. It taught me how to um, be disciplined with interviews. It helped me with my first break in show business, which was um, as a TV host in mm -hmm. Hong Kong and then later in Singapore. So everything you do in life, it's kind of funny how um, somehow those tools fall into your um, toolkit and you end up using them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's so interesting you mentioned that because I could name a, a really bunch of other majors I would rather study in school than computer science and math. And like, you know, part of me feels like I wasted a decade in advertising and marketing, but now those are the skills that people are willing to pay for. Plus uh, now when it comes to think about it, like I saved so much money on marketing because I had those skills to build websites, yeah. to run events. And yeah. it served me hugely. It does. It does. So all those young ones out there. <laughs> exactly. Listen up <laughs> to the grown-ups. Nothing goes to waste. It's like Chinese food. You always make a dish out of it. <laughs> exactly. I know. It's so funny. My mom is uh, staying with me for a few months. And then I just watch her cook. Like, oh, the leftovers become new food somehow. I know, right? Uh, it's like, what? You said peppers <laughs> to the leftover yesterday? And it's like a brand new dish? Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Life is like that. Anyway, um, you, you lead the, the Yeah, question. sure. Of course, of course. And I just want to make sure that um, I'm not sure if your uh, wrists are resting on the table. I just want to make sure. I heard some echo sound, staticky sound. I just want to make sure that we're... Uh, uh, oh, really? Sorry. Oh, it's okay. No, I didn't hear bang okay. noises. But um, yeah, so, well, you know, Lawrence, welcome to the show. Thank um, you for having me. I'm I'm really glad that you're here. It took a, a while for us to schedule this because you're a very busy guy who's traveling on multiple continents all the time. Mm. 
Um, but I'm uh, your your presence, your film, and your I would say the panel uh, discussion that ha happened at the Boston Asian Film Asian American Film Festival a few months ago really left such an impression on um, on me and was you and you know four or five other people and i really enjoyed you pinpointing some of the issues that we're dealing with related to the film but also you have you have this bigger vision um for kind of asian american um you know sort of people working in the industry in general so i i was really um yeah it was really i'm really excited to kind of prepare for this conversation Thank you. I really appreciate that. I have a tendency to talk a lot because I used to be a talk show host. I, I <laughs> so can't I'm wait for you because some people <laughs> some people are like, please stop talking. No, I, I really, you know, there are people who there are people who talk. You know, I've interviewed people in certain industries that just say that they're used to having a monologue or kind of stand on the podium and give a speech. Um, but I've, I found what you presented to be very interactive, that whatever you said was aiming at the audience. And it was, I love the fact that you're so transparent and honest, like, oh, thanks. you know, yeah. such a like, oh, you know. thing about whether it's journalism, which is my original mm -hmm. background, TV hosting, and now uh, acting and filmmaking, um, you know, you have to connect with your audience. And people ask me, well, you, you wore so many hats, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> what are you? I go, I'm just a storyteller. <laughs> I love that title. Yeah, it's probably the easiest way to sum me up. Just a storyteller. Whether I'm writing it, producing it, hosting, acting, something, you know, I'm just telling a, a compelling story story that hopefully resonates with um, audiences and people. And yeah. uh, yeah, honesty is the best policy. And, I, you know, you have a lot of experience in everything you just described. Uh, acting, producing, writing. Executive producing, which I know is a very different role, you know, with money, finance, marketing, a lot of a lot more hats involved for that particular role. Um, and, you know, could you actually maybe take us back to when you worked as as a journalist? Like you mentioned that that was a degree you didn't quite expect. But, yeah, you know, I yeah. remember uh, in high school, I had the secret desire, like a lot of <laughs> people to go break into show business. But those kind of dreams, you never really um, dared to utter in a very conservative Chinese working class uh, upbringing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always was good at the arts, writing, English, history. And I joined the student council in high school and I be was their PR guy. And I thought, this is, I'm really good at this. I should consider going into public relations. And the way to get into PR uh, or communications was journalism school. So I graduated uh, one of the foremost uh, journalism schools in, in Toronto, Canada, and um, thought, well, I, I knew early on that I didn't want to be a hard news journalist. <laughs> I was like tor tormented, like, oh no, what am I done? What am I done? <laughs> And my parents are already upset that I didn't go to medical school. Um, and so I graduated and I, you know, I won a scholarship and I was like, it should have. And I won story of the year. I, everyone thought I was going to be this hard news journalist, whether for a newspaper or on television. And it was one of my uh, instructors when he saw me very kind of uh, conflicted. And he says, Lawrence, there's no shame in uh, pursuing entertainment journalism because that was my other uh, Interesting. wish list and I kind of 
took that really to heart. And I went off into the working world with a degree in journalism uh, and um, thought, well, I don't want to be a hard news journalist. I want to break into entertainment journalism. I love, I, as a kid, I loved like, entertainment tonight. I would sit there with my VCR, VCR people. That's how far we're going back. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, my life is going to be like a checklist of dreams. Um, and I said, checklist A would be PR. So I went off to Hong Kong and I broke into public relations with a wonderful um, uh, company there that specialized in large scale sporting and entertainment events. And I, Mm -hmm. kind of uh, helped uh, flourish the entertainment division of the PR agency and was meeting a lot of uh, entertainment people. And that was really exciting me. And then I, as I became more and more um, well-known, uh, emceeing press conferences, and, and I did a lot of things. I was writing for mag freelance journalism entertainment articles on the side. I was asked to perform in uh, plays. Um, I started to write songs for some of the canto pop singers, English lyrics. Wow. And everything kind of just started to snowball in Hong Kong. And as my PR career elevated, um, the doors to show business started to open up too. Mm -hmm. And somehow, you know, here I was in Hong Kong, this, you know, took things like this foreign CBC kid, Canadian born Chinese, hanging around with like mm -hmm. <laughs> running into Sandy Lab and Andy Lau and Jackie Chan and all these mm -hmm. crazy people and behind the scenes at the Hong Kong Coliseum and sometimes interviewing them. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes our events would hire them to perform. And then eventually, uh, TVB, the main station there, offered me a job as um, a part-time TV host. Mm -hmm. So here I was leading a dual career as a PR consultant and then part-time TV host and still juggling all those entertainment things on the side. And then the, the, what really opened up was when Singapore found out about me. Um, because I could have stayed in Hong Kong um, to actually become an actor. Even people approached me if I could be a singer, but I couldn't read Chinese and my Chinese has you know, the accent of you know, North American accent. So I decided to jump ship to go to Singapore and uh, pretty fast became um, kind of like an overnight TV sensation. I was, uh, became the host of their Showbuzz, their number one entertainment news show. Mm -hmm. uh, I became their anchor uh, in a month. And then a month after that, I became their senior producer. And, and what year was this, by the way? This is like- Working way back to the late 90s into the 2000s. So it was a good oh, 10, okay. year, 10 years in Asia. So yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And then I got to um, host some of the biggest TV specials in Singapore, like Miss Singapore Universe, their Silver Screen Awards, their first National Day event. Um, I was guest starring on shows like Who Wants to Be a Million Sing Millionaire Singapore. I acted in rom-coms, dramas. Mm -hmm. uh, my final gig was hosting Hollywood Square Singapore. Uh, yeah, and then I went back to Canada and I said, well, I have all this experience. What can I do in North America as, an, as this Canadian Asian guy uh, who's a TV host slash actor? It was, it was like 10 years have gone by and the doors are still as hard to pry open as, as they were when I, it was really hard still. But, wow. Yeah. That's an, that's an interesting transition because I was going to say that, you know, somebody else, uh, oh my God, I, I, I can't believe this name has just disappeared on me. But Donnie Yen, who is, you know, who was born and raised in Boston, yep, I, um, I don't know him personally, but I know his sister, who's been interviewed on the show. 
same, you know, kind of a similar experience where he left when he was 18, 19 years old to go to Hong Kong and pretty much stayed ever since. But yeah. do you think that's, do you think that's a usual path? Is it like, do you think it's a path maybe some of the Asian American actors are kind of forced into because the opportunities are yes. more in Asia? Yeah. I do. I think uh, it was back 90s, 2000s, there was a, lo a huge wave of um, Western Asians going to uh, Asia mm -hmm. to break into show business, whether it was Hong Kong, Singapore, China, Taiwan, wherever. Mm -hmm. uh, all the more power if you were multilingual, if you could mm -hmm. read and speak Chinese, um, all the better. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was because of the lack of opportunities in North America. Mm -hmm. um, I felt that. Um, uh, and uh, if you manage to break it, and then the dream was always to see if you come, could come back to home, North mm -hmm. America, and see if you could get a, a career here, because this is home, right? There you're always regarded as a foreigner, even, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you could be a household name. So, and then I, I lucked out, I landed um, a gig called Ghostly Encounters, which is a paranormal mm -hmm. program that I was the series host of, and it was kind of groundbreaking because I was one of the few um, Asian male hosts of an entertainment type program in North America. And that show has been, like, the show is like the show, it's like the theme from Titanic. It just keeps going on. It just, it, <laughs> please just keep buying it. And, you know, I've been picked up in America, uh, Canada, England, Asia. And, and then um, when I moved to LA, I had that under my belt. And it was really hard trying to, um, start from scratch in Los Angeles uh, again uh, and uh, m which led me to my um, short film that you saw in Boston uh, mm -hmm. Justice for Vincent and um, I decided to kind of seize the reins and say well if I'm getting lost in the shuffle here and uh, it's hard to cut a break because what happens in the industry is that if you have a lot of credits here, those roles always go to the people with the most credits because they're most recognized and blah, blah. And if you're a newcomer yeah. coming in, it's still very, very hard. You know, unless you have the cachet of someone like Donnie Yen or Jackie Chan or Michelle Yeoh, mm -hmm. breaking into Hollywood is extremely, extremely hard. And um, you know, relegate it to a lot of um, peripheral roles, which is Seem, was the norm for um, people of color for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, it's only recently that the paradigm has shifted where Asians are now getting um, more screen time um, yeah. ever since the success of, you know, Crazy Rich Asians and, you know, mm -hmm. Always Be My Baby and-, and mm -hmm. uh, I love uh, Aquafina. So these kind of things are now mm -hmm. have changed, but if you're going back in time, they weren't there for us, so. And also even now, right, I think this is one of the areas that you really started to surface and talk about in a very transparent way. It, there, basically, there, there is an issue. Uh, but, you know, I think I'm kind of curious naturally thinking about, like, what are some of the solutions possible? Or, you know, we as Asian Americans, how can, what can we do to help each other out? Or other people who are not necessarily Asian Americans, who are interested in the cause or are trying to kind of shift the, the paradigm or you know, what are some of the things that you think we could do or even start to think about differently, like a, from a mindset shift perspective? Um, you know, I think it's your story. It's always the mm -hmm. story, your script. Um, I think it's important to have um, stories that have um, 
sort of like an homage to your cultural heritage mm-hmm. uh, or your cultural dichotomy, which North American Asians do have, you know, for a bit of everything. But at the same time, I think the stories have to resonate to other mm-hmm. cultures. It has to be a story that appeals, that crosses all cultures. Uh, and I think that's one of the tricks that it, mm-hmm. that'll do it. Um, also, I think it's breaking away from uh, stereotypes. I think. Mm-hmm. We're tired of it, and I think mm-hmm. maybe you know the people, the moviegoers, are tired of it too. If you yeah. just keep feeding people the same schlock, it gets mm-hmm. tired. Really, it's boring. It's tired. You know, we've done the martial arts. We've done you know the gangsters and the. So you know, I think when you we're like we're real, we're we're three sixty full dimensional people. Give us mm-hmm. a chance to tell our stories, which is one of the reasons why I did. Justice for Vincent, mm-hmm. an adaptation of the Vincent Chin story, because I saw like there was a wave, a trend where there, uh, it's like we went from Asians are good at martial arts mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, gangsters and servant roles, subservient roles and doctors. <laughs> and then we went into comedy. Comedy broke the next wave with yeah. crazy Asians. And I thought that mm-hmm. I still think drama is going to be the next. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, door to kick down and I said well I wanted to do a social justice drama from an Asian American uh, perspective um, but at the same time stay true to what what mm-hmm. I just earlier how do we make this story um, appeal to people of all color it's not just an Asian American social justice story it's a social justice story period yeah and that's my thing um, and bankability. If it sells, mm-hmm. as Crazy Rich Asians did, then Hollywood <laughs> gives you more chances. It's all yeah. about Money. show business is a business. If it can be bankable, mm-hmm. that's where yeah. um, when you the profits start coming in, that's when Hollywood shifts. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that because Crazy Rich Asian, I get there's a, their books and, you know, there are famous writers involved and their, you know, faces that people are finally familiar um, with. But I think you chose a very challenging topic. I think um, Justice for Vincent is something that that hits people very hard, but something that you have to, you really have to experience and see. And I think we're, in a way, I feel that we're responsible to know the story, you know, and there people think, talk about the difference between kind of, do you forgive versus forget, right? I think, you know, these are part of the stories that uh, it's impossible to forget and should never be forgotten. Mm. Um, you chose a very, I, I find it a difficult, like a challenging topic, whereas mm. Crazy Rich Asian is just entertainment. It's me and my girlfriend, some popcorns, and I don't remember anything happened. Other than some good looking girl and guy involved, right? It, <laughs> it, so, and a lot of those cast members are my friends from Singapore. I, I did the red carpet interviews uh, oh. in Hollywood. No, you're right. Um, I had the chance, because I was working actually on a romantic comedy uh, full feature script. Mm. And um, I remember people, my manager at the time said, what, no one wants an Asian romantic comedy. What are you doing, Warren? <laughs> Don't waste your time and money. <laughs> anyway, we know what happened there. Uh, and I said, well, what's the other story that I, I wanted to do? And it's the Vincent Chin story. And this is a story that's haunted, sat in my gut for decades. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, I'm not the only writer or filmmaker who has wanted to do this story mm-hmm. in a dramatic form. Um, and it, I took the chance to do it. And I, I know it's not um, 
like a, it's not a documentary and it's not, um, a lot of creative liberties were taken. So it's, it's an adaptation. It's a mm -hmm. docudrama, if you want to call it. So um, I took chances there in, in its dramatic retelling. But it's not an easy topic to talk about because it's mm -hmm. a uh, hate crime uh, mm -hmm. perpetrated against an Asian American that sparked the largest um, Asian civil rights movement in America in the 80s. <laughs> How do you do that in 15 minutes, right? <laughs> 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 and I was like, oh my God, it was, it was tough. Yeah. Um, but when I wrote the script, uh, you know, I, 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 my thing was, what was the message? What's the message? And the message um, was, it's universal. It's mm -hmm. um, a mother's loss is a mother's loss. Mm -hmm. Hate is hate, injustice in, in, is injustice. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're Asian American um, or, or Jewish or African American, Middle Eastern, uh, Hispanic, um, you know, a hate crime or, or LGBTQ, a hate crime is a hate crime. And that commonality, the undercurrent of, of injustice, and it binds us, to, it unites us together. And I know we're living in politically charged climate right now. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to kind of make a film that pitted, you know, um, Democrats versus Republicans. That wasn't, yeah. I think it's regardless of your political affiliation is that um, if you can see that there, the compassion of, mm -hmm. of um, loss, and, and the injustice, and if that can bring people together, regard, you know, re regardless of your party lines, I think that's the way to um, move forward uh, as a society. Mm -hmm. I think the uh, divisive society is very, um, I don't know, it's scary for me. It, it's just very disturbing. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just feels wrong. It just feels wrong. And um, it's, so I took a chance and, um, so it's been a, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I've been traveling. It's worth it. You've yeah. done a lot with the film. I mean, it's, it's been a year on the road of film festivals and, and we've done well. We've won a lot of awards and stuff like that. And I understand that it's not an easy topic. And some of the, you know, I, I'm, my greatest reward of doing a film is when a lot of the audiences, are particularly non-Asian, they don't know about this story. Mm -hmm. And they saw it. And African Americans have come up to me. Hispanic people have come up to me. Jewish people have come up to me. That, that we didn't know. We didn't even know that Who there were hate, hate crimes. Yeah. And it, it really, like, I get goosebumps thinking about it. And the most compelling person who came up to me, she, she said, Lawrence, um, I confess, I'm a, I, I harbor a little bit of racism but your film changed me. Mm -hmm. I totally see things from a different perspective now. Mm. And that was the greatest reward of the, you can debate the, the facts and the hist historical uh, components of my film and my dramatic <laughs> embellishments and you know, creative liberties, but the fact that it affected people and in that way, mm -hmm. it was the greatest reward I've ever received. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like that was shocking. Someone actually confessed that they were actually kind of racist, and this film changed their viewpoints. Mm, interesting. I will. I know sometimes those moments kind of, uh, you know, you have that brief moment to discuss with some person, somebody. I would love, you know, imagine if you're like, you know what, this. Yeah, you said there was a woman 
right, in this case, it would be great to grab a drink with her and sit down and it's like, okay, you know, what were you like before? And what, you know, how, how did you, people, you know, there are some self-awareness courses uh, that, that are taught in corporate America these days. But if people don't have the self-awareness, how do they even know they need to be in a self-awareness course? But this woman realized something deep inside and she, like you said, she confessed. Um, but, and that's really powerful. That's something mm. that was triggered by the film. Um, yeah. I think, you know, racism is, um, is a diff strange thing because um, sometimes it's, it's like it's, everything is very superficial. It's broad stroke. You hate someone because of the color of their skin. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, and then often racism is intertwined with economics. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when, during economic hardships, you blame a certain demographic for yeah the you know your economic difficulties which has happened in the Vincent right now right it was right now 82 was the japanese auto invasion in detroit compromising the automotive american automotive industry and suddenly it didn't matter if you were japanese or chinese you're just seen as asian you were seen as a threat that mm -hmm. broad stroking that superficial yeah. broad brushing um and that happens now too and um mm -hmm. so yeah, uh, it's one of those things that um, my call to arms. But it, it was through the power of film and the storytelling that um, you can affect someone. Uh, and like I said, I hope it was the, the compassion and the understanding mm -hmm. um, that you know altered people's perspectives. And I'm just glad that people from other cultures came up to me after the film festivals and. Um, we're very, I don't know if grateful is the right word, but very enlightened mm -hmm. by the fact that there was this story that seemed to, that they all said it deserves to be told, like mm -hmm. it, it, the message. And I know right now there's a lot of filmmakers who are probably, are in the works of doing um, a full feature as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I mean, all the power to them. I mean, I'd love to do a feature of them of it too, but I don't know who's going to do it. But mm -hmm. I, I think whoever does it, um, it's just a wonderful um, opportunity to relay this part of American history, Asian American history. Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt kind of stunned because you know, you're, you're every day you're bombarded by these so-called news, breaking news and when I heard the story and I read it and with a ticket in my hand, I'm, I was just thinking like, wow, I've never heard of the story before. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, because the reason is my background is a little different because I didn't come to the U.S. until around 2000. And so mm. I grew up in China, in Beijing. Yeah. And, you know, and it's interesting when I shared your film with some of my close friends and I can see that people who grew up here and lived here some, ran a bell, but they, they don't, they can't recall many details. Okay. And for me, I, I was kind of clueless. And I felt like being a Chinese person from China, that it's like something I really should know. And, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like I was being taught a lesson in, in a way that's not just about, you know, that's not revengeful, but it's, it's about understanding history and really deciding what we need to know to move forward. I think mm -hmm. that's really um, what we ought to think about. Yeah, I, th I think the older generation uh, mm -hmm. know of the story. The younger generation, maybe not. I, I, I know there are some, it's taught in some Amer Asian American um, 
schools, social studies programs and things like that. But yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm glad that there's like a whole new audience who don't know of this story. It mm -hmm. is, you know, I always thought that, like, oh, I want to do this Asian social justice story. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. I was sat there. I'm like, people are going to challenge me. Why do you want to do this? And I go, well, there are African-American social justice stories and there's a lot of um, Jewish social justice stories. Mm -hmm. um, there's the native social, where's ours? Like, <laughs> where's ours? Exactly. <laughs> they need to tell ours too, right? Mm -hmm. So that was my two cents. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love the, you know, I love the fact that you also um, worked as, as a show host and really in many spectrums and like every walks of the entertainment industry because when we think about um, people who are leading the the charge as interviewers having their own shows you know like there's Oprah uh you know there's Ellen DeGeneres and there yeah. isn't an Asian person household name you can point to to say wow that person you know we should be watching this person's yeah. show yeah um and I I really try to think it more broadly these days as I am you know in my mid-30s now I'm thinking it could be you <laughs> I know I <laughs> <laughs> one of us I, that's actually the kind of the the theme i have we'll get our show together you know? <laughs> well, no i you know i think you know I, despite the um <laughs> tense climate that we live in politically and socially um on the flip side it's really there is more diversity mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i just my hope is that the powers that be um stop relegating us to peripheral roles. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the main host and then the, the secondary host is Asian or mm -hmm. the lead actor is white and then the secondary actor is Asian. When it comes to a mixed cast, why can't it be the other way around, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's my hope. And I think that part of, you asked earlier, how can we affect this change? I think it's um, getting into those positions of, of power, whether it's as a writer, as a producer, as a director, Mm -hmm. um, and you know that's how you affect change. Um, sorry, I'm gonna get off my soapbox here. Yeah. <laughs> and am I, I think talking, am I a bit preachy today? <laughs> no, not at all. But I think there's an uh, there are more opportunities today than ever before. Of mm. uh, anybody who you know, you, I'm sure you heard this millions of times. Anyone with a smartphone, with a computer, internet access, you can create anything. And you know, I have my YouTube channel, I just subscribed to yours, and people are stepping up. And I don't, I can't, it's so funny, I wanted to write it down, but I learned about this particular production group, start with W, um, but it's an, a completely Asian, Asian American production team. And they, I, I remember learning about them also through Bath and came home, I was thinking, oh, they're too young for me. But then I started watching these Asian American stories, and you just crack up, like, Guess one is called Guess Her Age. <laughs> it's just based it's from like 14 to 30. Was in Bachelor? Was that this company? That was really funny. <laughs> I don't know. Really I, I, yeah, I, I have to send it to you. But all of a sudden, it's like I then immediately before I saw the subscriber, because I'm not like a numbers person, I, I thought to myself, you know, they're d very purely Asian American. They probably have like a hundred, you know, 50,000 followers and there's a cap, there's a ceiling to how relatable they are. And I was surprised to see over 3 million, which is over time. Um, mm. When I first discovered them, it was like hovering around like 100, 200,000. All of a sudden, they're just people who are, their viewers are very diverse. So all of a sudden I realized there is 
an interest. Like you said, we're storytellers. And if we tell good stories, that's not just about ourselves, ex exclusively Asian American, there is an audience. And there's yeah. so many proof points already. You know, entertainment is like story, like I said, storytelling. If you're making people laugh, if you're getting mm -hmm. people excited, their adrenaline is rushing, or you're making them cry, mm -hmm. you're doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And I think those those old schoolers who used to be in, who are in the positions of power, um, mm -hmm. they need to let go of that old way of thinking. That mm -hmm. it's not so much um, a race thing as it is a story. Mm -hmm. you know if yeah. the story is good and it connects and it resonates and race becomes a peripheral it, that becomes a secondary thing mm -hmm. and that's what i think we should strive towards is you know to kind of level the playing field yeah yeah i uh, you know i'm curious to kind of maybe check in with you on something that like a project i've been working on which is after I shot my film, which by the way, I am the host and I am interviewing influential people. I travel around the US and I'm proud of it. Um, but that project was supposed to come after the book I wanted to write, which is not exactly like a handbook for Asian Americans. It's about a, uh, a handbook, a book that's filled with emotions, but also tactical solutions perhaps, and you know, suggestions and, and mindset changing techniques for uh, Asian immigrants anywhere in the world. And, you know, speaking and speaking with someone like yourself, I feel like you've chosen possibly the hardest industry for Asian American to, to break through. But yeah. yet, you know, you grew up in Canada in, you know, I, I, I assume in an immigrant family, what are some of the things now that comes to mind that you, you wish you knew, or, you know, all these kind of, uh, reflections and learnings I've had <laughs> personally hit me so much in the past five, six years. I would say um, you have to find your tribe mm -hmm. and find yeah. it fast. Young is better. Uh, surround yourself with people who have similar interests and will support you. Mm -hmm. um, and also you have to have the honesty and audacity to say, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And then the part, the second part to that is, well, how do I go about doing it? And that means, you know, honing your craft and networking uh, and creating your own projects that let, that you're doing. Because when you create your own projects, it really is an affirmation of self-belief. Yeah. It takes a lot. Like people have no idea how much, um, not only uh, time, but just emotional, spiritual energy that goes, you invest in your, what, it's an online talk show, it's a film, it's a, a, a record, whatever. It's, yes, money is always a, a difficult thing. Uh, and yes, the workload is hard because it's like freelance. You're, you know, you have your day job and you, and you got to do this on your, whenever you have free time and then you kind of like have no life. But the hardest part is the emotional, spiritual part of it because it's, you're going against the winds of naysayers, mm -hmm. parents, skeptics, friends. You're breaking conformity and you're harnessing this um, uh, engine in you that says, no, I believe in myself. I have a vision and I want to commit to this vision. And for some reason, if, mm, I think if you're sincere, you're passionate and the quality of what you're doing is good, 
people gravitate towards it. Mm. You know, I managed to harm it with Justice for Vincent. Um, I didn't know, you don't know, but the script I wrote is my first film script. I worked, as I said, you know, TV and da, 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 but I never did film. And I was getting creatively stifled as a TV host and I wanted to act and I wanted to, you know, go into filmmaking. And it was so hard getting a break. So I said, well, I'm in Hollywood and I might as well do it myself. <laughs> yeah. And then calling up a lot of friends and then networking at uh, events. I mean, our first, person to play Lily Chin, Vincent's mother, was such a hard, hard role. The film is, you know, she really is the heart and soul of the film. And I managed to get Elizabeth Sung, who is, was the foremost Asian American actress in LA, in America. Uh, yeah. You know, she's been at the Joy Luck Club and numbers of yeah, She passed away, I, I saw, weeks yeah. before. Weeks before we began the film, she couldn't do it. She, she got sick and sadly passed away. And then her friend, Lee Chen came to us uh, through Elizabeth and we were so like lucky yeah. and then our, we had a, a stunt guy I sent the script to code blindly mm -hmm. and I remember I ran into him at a hallway once and he was a um, biracial Korean um, Asian American I had no idea how, how, what a powerhouse he was this yeah is like Asian. Avatar 2 and yeah, all uh, Avatar yeah. 2 and like Wonder Woman and I'm like uh, transformers and he came on board to help us uh, why did he why do you think he said yes he said this is exactly the same thing i did uh which was there are no asian social justice stories mm -hmm. coming out of hollywood and he was so moved by the script and he didn't know the story either mm -hmm. and he took time off avatar 2 and to help us choreograph he took a, he took a chance he believed in it right yeah. but it goes back to you know when you have that uh, take that leap of faith mm. with the right tools in your toolkit, somehow people gravitate mm -hmm. towards you. Mm -hmm. Something about it. I don't know. Yeah. Because maybe because, is it because, Lawrence, like, when we're all human beings at the end of the day, we all know where we're going and their documentaries about we should walk each other home, right? And yet we act as if we are so just such individuals we're so independent from one another we don't need each other but perhaps that you're you've taken the, the leap of faith to tell a story that's never been told before or never even sought to be important enough well, it was, there was documentaries on it uh, oh, okay okay not a, a dramatic adaptation uh and mm -hmm. i was able to meet some of the people behind those works uh which was really moving and i met a lot of the real social activists involved in the case so um i'm sorry i interrupted your question um go ahead oh yeah no worries i uh, oh i think i really was thinking about the reason why the stunt uh, i actually I, I believe his last name is brown or stephen brown yeah people yeah. think he's white but he's actually korean uh, yeah have I korean, have, korean American, yeah have korean and because you said people gravitate towards what you're doing perhaps in parts what i'm doing is that I think people are curious and people that may not have the opportunity or the time or whatever it takes or particular skill sets or the community to thrive. And they want to witness someone else doing that. And yeah. it's almost like an actual real documentary unfolds, right? You don't know if this you is going to be successful. I mean, when you're doing it, you don't think, oh, I'm trailblazing <laughs> something. You really don't think about these things. I don't think anyone really thinks about it. It's like if it, Everyone takes chances. Mm -hmm. You know, this 
show business, like you said, is the hardest industry because you could take a chance and you could fall flat on your face. Flat, yeah. You could do a wonderful part and no one sees it. Yeah. It could, you know, it could become a success. You just, there's no guarantee. It's not like a traditional career where you Mm -hmm. get a degree, you apply for a job and then you land one and you're set. Mm -hmm. It's just a constant gamble. Um, But I don't know. I think... um, we have to support each other. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I realize that show business is, is really competitive. And it always baffles me when um, there are segments of, like, say, uh, the Chinese community. Some are really supportive of you, and then others aren't supportive because they're competing with you. That always, like, freaks me. That always, like, confuses me. Uh, and I realize it because the pie is so small for us. Yeah. So I, I, I get it. But then, you know, and then it's very different. I remember going to Korean friends' film screenings and then the outpouring of community and support. It's very different. Every cultural thing has their own dichotomy. But -hmm. at the same time, I get that it's a competitive industry. Um, So I don't know. I I hope that, you know, we are supporting each other. (laughs) Well, let's talk about that for a second. It's really fascinating because I often hear as a woman how come there are not more women truly supporting each other in the corporate world and i tell them because that slice of the pie is already so small there are only so few female executives that's right. why you see women pulling hairs and cat fights everywhere that they're it's true that's it, the reality it, it is we true. can't even admit it we can't even talk about it which makes it even harder right like women can't talk about the fact that they don't have time to get pregnant they certainly won't have time to raise their children and that's the stake is very high and you keep climbing. You can, you can also fall flat on your face, right? Internal politics, you've been, you get kicked out, but I want to take a second to talk about parasite real quick because it's <laughs> <laughs> it just won the Oscar or four. Okay. Before you, here's a helicopter. Can you hear it outside? Is it bothering you? You know what? It was the funny thing. I can't hear right now. There, there's some staticky, staticky noise. I wasn't sure what it was, but there, I was like, is that a heater or an air conditioning? It's someone doing like the lawn grass outside. Oh, that's why. I was like, that's not your mind. you pause and edit or no? Are oh, well, we, I, I will no. try to edit it down a little bit, but it's okay. I feel like this is kind of a real, you know, this is like. I try to close another screen. Oh, it's okay. I, I think yeah. I, I'm going to try to pick it out. It was, it's fairly constant, so it'll be harder to edit. But imagine like you and I could be standing in the street right now having a friendly conversation and it's going to be background noise. So um, sure. let it, yeah, let it be natural. Okay. So I, so this is my confession towards watching Parasite, to be honest, because everyone who recommended the film to me are American, in particular Caucasians, okay? So <laughs> when they recommended the film to me, keep in mind, I grew up in China, I watched Hong Kong films like for the first, oh my God, 20 years of my life. So when I watched it, I was like, my immediate reaction was like, yep, get that, check. Nothing surprised me, you know? Like I knew exactly, I almost could predict where it was gonna go until let's just say there's some surprises. And- it's refreshing for the non-Asian audiences, right? It's- no, no I, I have the same <laughs> conversation. Like my uh, Caucasian friends loved it more than I loved it. I think it was so, a great film. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. But it, it wasn't like, oh my God. But for them, it's like, oh my God. It's like, like, oh my God. Right? Do you, did you know what? I, oh, seriously, people, I heard <laughs> Americans having extended conversations about, you know, the levels of society and like justice. And 
I, you know, so that, that happened and I was like, oh, this is cool. I had no idea I was going to win Oscars. And then to see a, a sea of Korean producers and writers on stage, that was stunning because they took up being, it was wonderful. I felt so good about it. I love the speech they gave us like the, where this is an, a move, this is a movement. Things are changing. And I sat there and thinking, I watched on YouTube, by the way, because I wasn't really watching it live. And I felt the movement. I felt like, well, we're Asian and we're Asian American. This is so great. And then five seconds later, it's like, man, next year better be Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a crouching tiger moment that we haven't had a North American Chinese uh, moment. Yeah. Yet. I hope that happens. You know, it's interesting. Um, I had the same reaction with Crazy Rich Asians. I mean, I yeah. love the fact that it was so successful. And people yeah. from all walks of life, you know, the box office was huge. They loved the film. Oh, yeah. and I'm like, but for a Chinese guy watching that story, we've seen that storyline in a ton of Chinese movies. A thousand times. <laughs> I, li I lived in Hong Kong. It's always like rich boy brings home the peasant girl and family objects. I go, that's you're like, this is my life. This is what I witnessed. <laughs> I go, yeah. but I mean, I that you know, for us, we micro. Analyze it. Yeah, exactly. So fact, you know the fact that it's translated into all these other cultural groups. I'm I'm happy for it. <laughs> so. I know, I know. As part of that, it's like it almost feels trivial, even though that's you know that's a kind of a very cruel word to describe that. But to us, it's it, it's almost. And what also hit me, by the way, is when I don't remember the, the name of the gentleman who directed uh, Parasite, and he's clearly famous. When he got on stage, I felt like he was very sincere. Uh, but at the same time, he gave away a lot of the the, the sort of how he got famous of um, several. He named several American directors are all sitting in the front row about who recommended his film over the course of God knows how long could be 10, 20 years. And being named or being picked, the idea of, like you said, people in power picking someone like us who is still unknown to the audience. That's kind of a way in and you kind of keep climbing that ladder. And so it really makes me question, by the way, of seeing a film winning Oscars versus, for example, seeing a film, uh, you know, Bath. I, I think about like how much weight we put on whether we should even go see the film where the impact of the film shouldn't be judged based on the awards. You know, like I don't think it should be based on the environment where, you know, how many sort of stamps of approval it has received, but I think we as human beings gotta be, you know, a little bit, just be more self-aware, be more conscious of the world we live in and then be, be able to choose content and who we follow more wisely. I mean, I don't mean to, have to give you like such a profound statement, but I constantly think about these things because then we keep falling the, you know, we can't cut through the noise of thinking yeah, we are, yeah. I understand that perspective. Uh, that's the thing with, um, Hollywood, um, yeah. <laughs> th those cornflake seals of approval, yeah. they mean a lot um, because it's money, it's a revenue booster. Um, and people are just swayed by that. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the consumerism of show business, isn't it, right? And I don't know if there's a, a solution to that. It's really, you know, <laughs> you do a wonderful art piece film that's critically acclaimed who's going to go watch it versus something that starts winning Oscars. I think most people are going to go see the Oscar film. <laughs> that's just the nature of the beast. That's human nature. Um, is it right? 
No, not necessarily. I mean, you know, but is it the right way to like uh, be uh, a gauge, a barometer to go see a film or not? No, I don't know. It's you know what's really funny. You, you flip it on the other side, and it's like, well, the Caucasians have been making films all these years. Is it how refreshing is it for them <laughs> to see their own films? Right? They never, they're probably sitting there. I've seen all this again. So oh, when you, it's true. Right, and then you see an Asian American film or, or African American film, and or what you know from a different culture, Slumdog Millionaire. It's kind of like a, a culture. It's a shock to them. It feels so good. It's a culture. It's, it's a, culture. a refreshing shock yeah. to them. And, and so be it. <laughs> let them get shocked. <laughs> let them get shocked. And you're right. I, I didn't even realize that that there are now hundreds and thousands of films on Netflix, Hulu. That if you flip through them, you realize actually like the ones that you end up flipping through are the ones with big household names or you know Adam Sandler Brad Pitt like they're films that you've never seen before right realize just like you said uh, and then you think oh, I've seen this oh I haven't actually seen it it's just so similar to like 300 other films that these people have yeah. so you're absolutely right that a lot of the you know the, the signals or whatever is not getting picked up you know yeah. it's also crazy it's like I, I watch a lot of uh, Netflix and stuff and it's like Mm. It's to me. It's a story. If I get hooked in by the story, and then it almost like you realize it's all Caucasians, <laughs> which is fine. And you know, yeah, uh, it's a UK show. You know, whatever. But then you go, wait a minute. Um, uh, different cultural groups can come up with a compelling story and wonderful acting and great directing too. And uh, you kind of like. <laughs> Does it always mm. have to be, you know, one race? Can it be a multicultural cast? Like, exactly. I mean, I even see that in animation. I've interviewed people, um, you know, who deliver Big Hero 6 and all. But the, for example, the uh, from a year ago, this sh animated short called Bao, like Bao. Oh, yeah, yeah, Bao. It just made everybody, I mean, I was crying like a bitch. I, I just like a look around, everybody was crying, you know, people yeah. of all cultures. And it just, it moved me so much to, to watch that. The whole thing was like five minutes. And, and then I ended up looking up that woman who basically produced a film and actually animated all the characters, like the original character designer. And this skinny Asian woman you've mm. never heard of. I followed mm. her on Instagram. Her Instagram has like 50,000 followers. Then I traced back to her origin story. She's only been interviewed a few times where Pixar turned her down several times, did not give an intern internship where she didn't really get picked. Like so, and it's crazy. And then she, yet this is like one of the, the most successful shorts that is so Chinese. Right. Um, yeah. Right. It, it's, it's baffling, right? Yeah, it's baffling. It's like, what is happening here? You know? <laughs> oh boy, you're hitting into some difficult, no, you're right. I think, um, as we make these advances into diversity and the landscape is changing, yeah. how hard is it for an Asian American or an Asian from overseas to break into um, the Hollywood showbiz scene? It's still very, very, very hard. It's still hard. Um, it's like you could have the most compelling resume and the greatest work. I still think you will be almost like scrutinized more or second guessed more. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I remember when I first moved to Hollywood, I had this huge portfolio of showbiz hosting. I interviewed all the big stars, George Clooney, you know, Mariah mm -hmm. Carey. And 
I've won a lot of hosting awards and, and stuff like that. And it was like, you meet people in some powerful plate positions in Hollywood. And it's like, but he's Asian. Mm-hmm. And he's a male. Mm-hmm. If he was a female Asian, maybe we'll take a chance, you know, because the, the babe thing, right? Yeah, and, so, yeah, and this is going back a few years. So I get it. it you know, it, it's, it's harder for us. It still is. I don't care what people still like. It's still harder. <laughs> it's always it's harder. Ba- the babe effect. Um, yeah, <laughs> and he's male. It's very hard. And with this, well, they, they think, well, is he going to like, resonate in the midwest right. you think about yeah, it's a big deal like, people oh, watch the, the market in the south gonna tune in or they're gonna turn mm. off you know they'd be mm-hmm. so it's it's a weird thing i don't know i think it's um i think i'll i'll be honest with you since mm. you're uh, a, a host of a show of your own show i i do think it's easier for an asian woman to break in as a showbiz host oh i think so i i know that for a fact i think it's you know, the, as a show host in entertainment business, but I, I've been told many times, not just to me personally, but the fact that Asian women have it, they say much easier, even living, just everyday life living in North America. Yeah, you know? I, I, I met Connie Chung years ago and she said, yeah, it was easier for Asian female newscasters or hosts to break in because they were considered like the babe, the China doll. Mm-hmm. And guys, it was always harder. You know, we were relegated to business news or computer technology news or mm-hmm. whatever uh you know it, it, it but it's it's changing i think mm-hmm. crazy rich asians has done a great job um in that um they actually finally cast asians that aren't stereotypically that's true stereotype you know they, they actually had an asian guy my friend pierre with abs <laughs> from pierre pung from singapore and you know mm-hmm. you have uh henry golding who's very leading man and you have you know there was a, a, a great mix mm-hmm. we as asians know about it. we we go to china or hong kong taiwan we see the mix yeah you know, we don't just see asians as, but a lot of the white casting people they have a very narrow a lens of what an Asian person is yeah their perspective which is like no (laughs) I know and then they tend to look very kind of similar to one another and of course every time I go back to Asia and people without me naming names and people recognize these very famous Asian American uh, particular actresses um, they were all Asian people are baffled by how are they picked do do American people find them very attractive because they're not considered very attractive in Asia right it's a yeah. very different perspective you know um yeah. you know asian america in asia they love very like pretty boy yeah. very cutesy girl doll but in america they like the more sexy model yeah. types right it's a very different yeah. thing um but i still think but which is again it goes back to the point is like well why is it okay for uh the white acting community to have all types yeah yeah right they can have goofy types caricature types leading man rugged types sexy type but then when the, back in the asians it's like oh no no it's a certain type it's only mm-hmm. a certain type it's <laughs> so like a couple of types very ethnic or very you know um uh what, what was the term multiracial mm-hmm. mixed yeah know? but things are changing so we'll see I don't know. Yeah. I'm excited for the change. I, I think it's the change is definitely happening. And it's, uh, yeah, like you said, when, when the slice of the pie is already so small, how many types can you really fit in there? And, you know, so 
Yeah, they tend to go with what sells before, just follow the mold. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Which kind of sucks. But at at the same time, um, I think uh, it'll broaden and it'll get better. Um, So, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it all goes down to, you know, it's the quality, whether it's the script or mm-hmm. the person's acting or the person's directing, producing, whatever. If the quality is good mm-hmm. and it translates to um, a diverse range of audiences, then I think you're golden. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you were, it's funny that we, you know, we're unfamiliar. I, I know we haven't really spent a ton of time together, but I feel like knowing you through different events and watching your film makes me feel like we're we're close. So we're talking in a very honest way. So I that mm. I, I think it, by nature you're a very optimistic person. If somebody could see you in in a in a panel, they will feel that right away. And I want that um, to come through. I never know how I'm, how I'm being received. So thank you. No, you're you're smiling a lot. You're you know you're you're getting to the point instead of dancing i don't find you kind of dance around an issue you're like this is the issue let's talk about it there are some potential solutions they, these things i've tried didn't work i i find it really refreshing when people talk in that manner um mm-hmm. you know so i i will you know i to respect your time what's next for you how can people find you like what are you know what are some of the projects that we like can to get some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> get seriously some sleep. a year on the film more than a year Constantly traveling is really exhausting. And yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to do, probably do some more writing. Uh, I might revisit the, the rom-com that I was working on. I might do a horror uh, script because mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm the host of Ghostly Encounters. I have a following there. Um, but I'm okay to... Um, m- most people who have had um, a film on the circuit and spent a lot of work would jump full-fledged into acting. I think I might do more writing. Wow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, uh, that's like your journal journalist roots of uh, writing, writing more. And uh, I think it's also age. <laughs> 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 you realize the reins to true power in Hollywood is creative control, I and mean, you're in behind yeah. the scenes pulling strings. You're, yeah, and also not everybody can write, so might as well take advantage of, you know, like your your toolkit, right? Like what you just said earlier. You know, I, I always kind of like, well, I want to do it all. I want to, you know, Oprah's career. <laughs> I want to yeah. be a talk show host, and I want to be able to act, and I want to, you know, make films too. Why can't What's I wrong that? with that? I think it's just a matter of um, just keep plugging at it and getting uh, more uh, successful and known. Um, mm-hmm. You know... America's a tough jungle. Uh, getting that break is really, really, really hard. It's mm-hmm. just hard. It's just, it's, I got breaks in Hong Kong and Singapore. Um, coming to Hollywood, it's harder. It's just harder. It's mm-hmm. just so many people are, are competing. Um, and so, I don't know. I just think that you just have to keep at it. Yeah, well, I, I'm excited to hear uh, what you're going to work on next. And who knows? who knows through our connections, common connections, LinkedIn podcasts, and if there's anything that we, I personally can do to help you and please let me know. I will be very honored. And you know, this kind of oh, opportunity is always exciting. Likewise. Jeez. I'm so moved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank anyway, you so much. Anyway, yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate oh, this. It. Oh, much. this is wonderful. And I, I hope you feel better, Lawrence. I think you're, you're great. There's no, you know, I couldn't even tell that you haven't been sleeping. 
<laughs> now we know who's lying. <laughs> no, because you're like you're con you con you're connected. You're for me. If I sleep three four hours a day, I I would not be functioning. I don't think I can respond to questions intelligently at, at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's been my life. Three four hours of sleep. Because <laughs> you've been traveling. When, when you when you gonna stop traveling? It's pretty much. Uh, I think we have our last film festival maybe this month. Uh, at, at the Chinese theater in Hollywood, and then I'm gonna call it a wrap. And then um, call it a wrap. Yeah. yeah. How, honestly, how many? How often did you have to travel in the past year? Like every other week, or? There was a time when I was going four cities four weeks, and it was exhausting. It would East Coast West Coast. It'd be like New York to San Fran, yeah. and, and into um, you know uh, Philadelphia. It was it was intense. Would you say that actually, do you think it had a obviously very positive impact on the film um, or were like, what was your expectation going in versus like what, what ended up happening at the end of it? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, when I first did, I, you know, you, you really don't know. And then we started to win uh, um, uh, awards at the beginning uh, a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a streak we were winning. Uh, and that was wonderful. Uh, towards the tail end, you know, not, not as much, and, and, but that's fine. Um, my only kind of like, oh, I wish you won a big festival like TIFF or, you know, Sundance or, or Khan, that would have been like over the moon, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I can't complain. I mean, we're at about 25 accolades uh, wow. from my first short film that I wrote, produced, and acted in, so I'm okay. <laughs> I'm not complaining. Oh my, oh my God, God. I, it's so funny. I keep promising I'll wrap it up, but I feel like I love some of these like rapid fire questions where like people really want to know these things. And I have some filmmakers following me because of my journey in the past couple of years. But as I, I learned, the marketing process is so expensive, not to mention time consuming because you can't really do much. You can't really do these interviews like we've been trying to, to schedule them um, as easily. So like, do you have to then work organize your own trips and, and, and pay yeah, for your own trip? You do. Most, the very, very, very few film festivals will offer you a stipend. Mm -hmm. Most of it's out of your own pocket. Mm -hmm. And that's a, my a double-edged sword is that if you create a film that is of high quality and starts winning awards, <laughs> you better have a, a big reserve of cash to start traveling. Yeah. <laughs> Airfares on your own, hotel, you know, uh, meals yeah you have it adds it, up it's very expensive i know a lot of my filmmaker friends towards the end of the year like i can't i can't travel anymore i have no more money i'm so broke yeah, yeah. it's crazy it's also you're doing you're traveling during busy seasons some film festivals may may not be as big but you can't predict there may be a i don't know a football game yeah, going on right to show up to be an ambassador for your film. Mm. And they, they do want that input from a filmmaker. Uh, but at the same time, um, it's, it's very expensive. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of know, if you start winning awards early on or in the middle, you kind of like, uh oh, it's gonna you be- You can see it coming. Year. And then if, if you're not, and then you say, okay, you don't have to attend every film festival. <laughs> you yeah. can pull back a bit. That's so, funny. But it's expensive. Yeah, it is. Uh, oh, I'm so glad I asked these questions. It's so it's juicy. I love it. <laughs> uh, but you know what? The best thing about film festival, uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad I did it, uh, is that it's actually, awards are great and everything like that. And um, it's really meeting people like you. Mm -hmm. 
uh, building relationships. Mm-hmm. It really, that's the best part. I mean, mm-hmm. some, some festivals, I've gotten made friends for life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the best um, moments of, of the journey. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just seriously, like you said, same thing for me for podcasting. It's expensive and we're finally able to bring down the cost a little bit and develop YouTube content. But when we go to show up to a city, people we interview open up their doors, we see their kids and we become, you know, lifelong friends. And, mm-hmm. you know, we follow them to different places. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, all these like Cirque du Soleil artists that we, you know, ended up showing up in my film and we're going to see them in Germany now. It's just, it, like you said, it's an incredible feeling to realize it just, like you said, it's about the tribe, it's about the connection and the network beyond anything else, yeah. Right. Oh, can I just say one, one last thing? About- uh, yeah, please, please, I, I got time, yeah. Um, uh, so I, I played a civil rights activist in the, in, in the film and uh, most people know uh, Helen Zia, who is the foremost um, civil rights activist involved in the case. And it was a creative decision to, um, cast myself in it uh, because uh, I didn't want to be a replica of the documentary Who Killed Vincent Shin. Um, And it was a calculated decision in a sense that there were a lot of, um, it was a composite character, sort of like it shouldn't be a male or female, that wasn't the point. But there were a lot of also um, male um, civil rights activists behind the scenes that weren't you know, known. Mm -hmm. So that's why I kind of, you know, stepped into that role. But also I stepped into the role because um, uh, I, my acting coach discovered this, is that why did you want to put yourself in that role? And, and I realized that Vincent's mom was um, reminding me of my mom mm-hmm. and her struggles of you know, dis- discrimination. And she had legal battles. She had a very hard life, was very unhealthy. And she was like her protector. And in my role, and if you see me in the film, it's like I'm like the protector. And that, it was a subconscious thing that I wasn't even aware about. Sorry, you don't have to put that in this song. You can edit that out. No, no, this is very, no, it's very important. <laughs> yeah, because some people are a bit shocked. Like, mm, why isn't a woman there? You know, so that was my, that was a creative decision. I think it's so important that I, my favorite questions to ask uh, actors are like, how do you relate to the character? And, you know, sometimes after someone's been in the film, especially TV series for in the U.S. for like 10 years and 100 plus episodes, you, you almost become that person. Like some people say they have, you know, how do, we, how do you separate yourself from the character that you inherited for so long? I just remember when this story broke and I was a student and then um, I was just haunted by it. Like it really mm-hmm. affected me. And I was in like a very white dominated uh, journalism school and I felt such like a cultural misfit yeah it haunted me it haunted me and it just sat with me and I I remember I said when I graduate from journalism school in Canada I'm going to go off to Asia to be around my own people and Mm -hmm. and there was discrimination in in communications for people like me so I don't know there's a lot of reasons Okay, this is a this is here we go. The point of my spiel <laughs> that we all, if you're a creative person as you are, um, you're motivated to do something that fulfills your soul. Mm-hmm. There's a creative juice. Something is tugging in you. Um, it's like it needs to be fed. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes you're sub. It's buried in your subconscious. You don't even know why mm-hmm. you're really really doing it mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, but there's always um 
there's always an impetus to, there should always be um, a pure um, heartfelt reason for doing something uh, that you um, are going to invest your time and money and resources into doing it. So, I mean, if it comes from a good place, mm-hmm. your place, that's the right project. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and you have to find out kind of why you are doing this. Yeah. And it's really, uh, you know, it, it kind of triggered obviously a lot of thoughts because, you know, I don't have kids and it's one, I love to have kids, but you know, it, that just say it's, <laughs> It's not as easy as people think. They just snap a finger and you have kids and this is going to be it for the rest of your lives. And because of the situation and kind of uh, that I'm in and watching half of my friends having children and you lose contact with them right away, very quickly, rapidly, I find myself friending people such as yourself and other super creative people who are traveling constantly, creating, you know, film projects and building companies. And they're so fulfilled. They're so happy with what they've done. Um, and, uh, and, and it's just very, it's very rewarding and very clarifying for me to realize that just like there should be diversity in the film industry for Asian actors, I feel like there should be diversity to how Asian immigrants and Asian Americans, Asian people in general can choose to live the life that, that suits them. That it's okay to, like you said, time and, and your, your financial resources to pursue what you love to do because, you know, yes, I mean, I, I think being a parent is just a wonderful thing. But on the other hand, uh, I mean, I didn't even ask you. I, I just assume that, you know, you're kind of pursuing so much of what you're doing. It's, it just, it just. Lonely path, girl. <laughs> it, it really is. is. It is. I, 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 it's very hard. I, I worked as a consultant for for years, and the travel and the stipend and all was sexy for me for two days, mm-hmm. literally. And the rest of it was very lonely and and, and very difficult. Um, yeah, it really. But it's is. worth it to you, right? I mean, I guess. <laughs> but most of my like friends, they're all getting married and stuff like that. And you know, here I am traveling the film. It's like such a foreign thing for them. Because uh, mm-hmm. my a lot of my closest friends are not in show business, mm-hmm. so you're kind of like at that oddball guy. No, they live vicariously through you. That's what's happening. Maybe right? I don't know. I, I don't just I don't know. I mean, y- you do it because you have to be true to you, right? So yeah. we, we walk. You know, you take the road less traveled. Mm. And it, it's a hard road, but you do it because you love it. Yeah. And, and you're here for a cause too. I mean, it's not just the film that you produced, but you're here to, to lead a, a life that's very different than, like you said, becoming a doctor or lawyer. Mm-hmm. Like the the scheduled path, the expected outcome. Of well, I would get physically sick if I had to do something I didn't love. No, really, like yeah. oh, <laughs> muscle spasms. If yeah. I didn't love that. I would be sick. Yeah, that's true. I would be physically ill. So, you know. Yeah, you're doing us all a favor here. So do what you love and uh, <laughs> yeah, keep showing up for your work because it's just exciting to talk about and um, oh, to know okay. that the change is happening. I mean, when, yeah, Parasite, the change is happening right now. Well, people like yourself, it's part of that movement. You know, you don't have to be part of that crew producing that particular film, but I think we're all... I hope so. Yeah. I, you know, we contribute in our own little way. It's, it's a short film. It's not a big, sweeping, major feature epic. Well, there are many films under your name and there are going to be many more to come. So 
hope so. Yeah. We'll talk more again. Hi there, it's me again. I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode, and I hope you were able to learn a few things. If you enjoyed what you heard, it will be hugely helpful if you could subscribe to the Face World podcast. It literally takes seconds. If you're on your mobile phone, just search for Face World podcast in the podcast app on iPhone or an Android app such as Podcast Addict, and click subscribe. All new episodes will be delivered to you automatically. Thanks so much for your support.